Hello, how are you doing? I'm Craig Parkinson. You are listening to the Two Shot Podcast. Sit yourself down, pop the kettle on. We're going to have a nice old chat. Who's it with this week? I'm going to tell you right now. How the devil are you? Happy Friday. Yes, that's right. It is Friday. It's not Thursday. We had to do a switch around this week because I've only just finished recording the episode. Uh, So it's an episode with the brilliant John Thompson, and I've just finished recording it now, which is why it's going to come out tomorrow. Yes, it's that quick of a turnaround, but it's a brilliant episode. John We had such a laugh, honestly. It's so funny and heartfelt and honest. Um, It's just great. You're going to love this episode. Um, Yeah, but anything. I was going to say we're going to get back to normal next week. We're not going to get back to normal next week because there is no episode next week because the pure and simple fact is I have no time to record, but we are going to get back the week after, so fret not, okay? So um, should we get back to it? It's the Two Shot Podcast with the brilliant John Thompson. Enjoy, and I shall see you at the end. Um, John, it's lovely to see you and hear you. And it's funny because I was thinking, we planned on doing this eight, uh, quite a while ago, didn't we? Yeah, it was a, was a while ago, wasn't it? And it's, um, it's fortuitous timing because, obviously, tomorrow is the big... Fast show celebration. Yes. Yeah, I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, I've been doing a bit of press for, for that, um, but we shot that literally the week before the lockdown. And then we we couldn't do it together because we were all doing different things. Mm. So I was in, the day I went in, I was in with Arabella and I was yeah. in with Charlie. And Paul popped in to say hello because he was doing Only Fools and Horses, the musical. At the time, which I've, which, which I've seen, which I've, I, yeah. I've seen too, and it was a, <laughs> yeah. a really great night out. Yeah, it's a buzz. It's a smashing, it's a smashing show. That it's it's a very uplifting. I really loved it. So I got, I went to see that, and uh, Paul was doing that, and then the, the following week it was Mark Williams, Simon Day, and, and Paul and Charlie. So we were split, but they were the day before lockdown. Oh my god! So yeah, yeah, and apparently wardrobe and makeup was a, were really like <laughs> running around like headless chickens, saying we're going to die if we stay here. And <laughs> so we shot it in some bar in the basement of uh, is it bar, uh, in, in, on, on Wardour Street in Soho? Right. But it was mad being back. I mean, Paul, it was really sweet of him. He said he got quite emotional when he saw me dressed as Denzel. Uh, <laughs> but I don't know what they've done to the photo. There's a promo photo that's kind of a composite of all the characters, and they've retouched it with some weird filter. And uh, we look... There's, I look very strange as Jasmine. I don't know what they've done to it. It's not flattering at all. But um, It's not supposed to be, is it? It's not me. You've got to remember that. Actors it's kind of go, you. oh, my God, I look. I don't look very... But you, sometimes you've got to remember, it's good to look odd or ugly as an actor. That's it. Take all the vanity Exactly. Away, yeah. Because usually I don't... When I've got actors on the podcast, I tend not to talk about work because otherwise yeah. then it becomes part of our work. Of course you know? it does, yeah, but, yeah. But I do want to have a little quick talk about the fast show because it was so... And it is now so universally loved by it everyone. Is. And, the, and the funny thing is about sketch shows, 
uh, you know, generally as a rule, there it is. They are just, they are hit and miss because yeah. everything's so short. You go right. If this is a duffer, don't worry because there's a banger coming along in a minute. Yeah, but yeah. That was that was never really like that with a fast show. I, th- I thought everything really hit home well because of all the characters and such a large cast. One of my favourite oxymorons is comedy producer. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's why we, we won in spades, because Paul and Charlie, Paul Whitehouse and Charlie Higson, were the producers, so nothing got through the net. So, so they had com- complete control yes. over what was going on. I mean, we had um, Jeff Perkins, but he had a good eye, Jeff. Oh, he did. He, yeah. he was good, Chef. Mm. But there are a few out there that kind of like uh, they climb the ladder or they get moved departments and they go, "Yes, let's, yeah, Gerald, you ever go at comedy?" And it's like, "Oh dear." It's kind of like what happened to Morecambe and Wise when they went to the BBC. It kind of all went, it all went a bit wrong. Um, but because they oversaw it, nothing got through the net. So in, initially, and also once it was shot and edited, they'd see it and go, "No." It's not. It's not good enough. And we sometimes the budget on things was was quite large. Especially that's the problem with sketch shows. The budget's massive because it's wigs, costumes, locations, and it has to be good. You know, especially with BBC production standards. I mean, we were very lucky to kind of like been given a budget and gone off you go. He. That's exactly what they did with us. So it was our twenty fifth anniversary. Like in uh, what are we in now twenty. I think it was twenty eighteen. Twenty eighteen. They, they went to the BBC and said, "Should we do a twenty five year special?" And they went. Yeah, they, they said they were very interested to do two specials for Christmas. Mm. And they, they came back with a budget that I don't think was unreasonable. And they said, "No, I'm sorry." Um, and they, they they turned it down. And th- thankfully, UK TV said, "Isn't it your anniversary coming up?" And they said, "Well, it's kind of been." And then we said, well, we'd love to do something with you. So what we've done is a documentary. But the, the lovely twist on it, and this is why I love Paul and Charlie, is instead of us, uh, all the actors, uh, the character performers talking about the characters, the characters talk about their time in the fast show. Oh, really? Yeah, in person. That's a nice twist. Yeah, and where they are now. So there's a lot of, it's like 20, 25 years, so... <laughs> There's the, the, there's a lot of current reference points to like what's happening now as well, which is great. So the beauty of the fast show, really, Craig, was that Paul and Charlie said, "Let's not so it doesn't date. We won't do anything political. Mm. We won't do anything pop culturey. To you know, the the the, the demands are kind of like if you, that's why it's timeless. People went, oh my god, it's not dated. People go, and the lovely thing is that people who grew up with it. Uh, I've, I've given it to their children and kind of passed it to them and said, here, have a look at this, you might like it. And, and I get parents coming on to me and going, oh, my God, my kids love this show, you know. <laughs> it can be a little bit a bit, a little bit rude sometimes, but really, it's a PG, it's a PG really. Um, but, um, yeah, it stood the test of time. I think so, because it's like, you, even though you knew what was coming yeah. on, on those sketches, you know... When you and Caroline were on the train or wherever they were, and you yeah. you, like, you knew what you're was looking forward to it, it aren't you? you? But you're craving it. You go, go on, go just on, say it. Gonna say it. Or where, when when he's, I will just say nice, say great. Yeah. I can't wait. You look to the camera and say yeah, great. You do. You or, relish it. I want Caroline to say, oh blimey, you know, it's just brilliant stuff. One of the classic examples of that is is genius. Is unlucky Alf goes see that hole at end of the road there. Knowing my luck, I'll fall into that. <laughs> and then there's a massive wide shot of Paul, and it lasts a good while. You know, it must be a minute of him, and it's very windy. 
And sure enough, it falls in the hole, but it's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. It's the anticipation, I think. Yeah. But a lot of people would have gone, you can't say what you're going to do and then do it. That's not funny. And go, well, watch. Do you know what I mean? Watch this. Mm. Yeah. Oh, it was a joy. In a way, it kind of broke some rules of, of comedy in a way, didn't it? Yeah, totally. Totally. I mean, the thing was, Paul said that our, uh, the reason it was the fast show is, well, it's perfect for today's generation because of short attention spans, you know, channel mm. hopping. Fast show's kind of, was kind of, like, you know, a bit of a, uh, uh, what's it, prophetic, really, in a way of what people wanted. Because uh, Paul said, the shorter we get, the longer Harry seems to get. Because he was still doing Harry Enfield and Friends with Kathy. Mm. And theirs were kind of getting, you know, they were like mini opuses. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I think that was just the kind of backlash against our show, but um, yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm, it's very clever what they did. I didn't, I've never had it explained until the in, we were interviewed about this new show. Uh, what they made a deliberate point of not to refer to things of the time that would kind of date it. Uh, you know, no, no, no cultural references or politics or, mm. and it's very clever. I wouldn't, you know. I kind of oh the, another th- another rule of thumb for the show was no parodies. We weren't to do any kind of pastiches or parodies of things that were already because you know that that would date it heavily. You know because those things are forgotten. And also it, you know things like that have been done before and people have seen it. Well, before, yeah, French and Saunders that was their main thing, but they were great at it. But that oh, was yeah, well yeah. that's a template. That's that up there. Yeah, that was yeah, what yeah. They were known for that. Was, Everybody that was, was fantastic. Talk about, Talk about craving things. People were looking forward to... What's it oh, going to be this week? Yes. Oh, they're, do, they're only doing Titanic. This is going to be yeah, incredible. Fantastic. And, it, you, know, you know, it always was. Yeah. And, John, how was it um, revisiting for everybody? You know, obviously, with the loss of Caroline, who was such a, you know, such a beating heart of it. The thing was... The thing was that... The Car- the thing with Caroline's been a bit hard for me because um, towards I'm very grateful for the fact that the last job she did was with Craig and myself. So Craig directed a show called After Hours on Sky and it was about a pirate radio station on a barge in Lim in Cheshire. And we did that. It was a lovely little show. You know, gentle, kind of like after, uh, like early doors, that kind of, you know, nothing to, yeah. you know, well, family's gentle, really. Uh, it was that vein. And... Uh, Caroline played my wife in that, called Sheila, and we'd had a big row. And ironically, I kept talking about my big illness, but I think it was... Uh, uh, but Caroline was in remission from her big illness, you know? Yeah. And she came down, and um, so the story was that she'd thrown me out, and I'm trying to win her back, and eventually there's a local talent contest, and I do Sheila take a bow from the Smiths, and I learned it and everything, and I, and I, and I, I tell her the chords and all that because I'm like a method actor, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and I serenade Caroline and sing Sheila Take About, and she's all really smitten with it, and, and, it, and we get back together. But I'm I'm filled with joy with the fact that that was, sadly, because when I saw Caroline, she was painfully thin. She had a wig on because she had the chemo, she'd lost her hair. I'm very grateful to the fact that I, I had the chance to work with her playing her husband on that show because she looked, she, she was in great, oh, Caroline, great spirits, but... I had no idea it would come back, and that was a shock, because in the in the interim period of working with her, um, because the tabloids had given her such a hard time, and she'd had such a terrible. Well, I mean, I'm no, I'm a victim of it as well. Had had such an invasion of her personal life. Uh, she yeah. became very reclusive, and I I would try in on, in numerous means to contact her, but she wouldn't get back to me, and it was quite tough. And I didn't want to really. She was only up in Timpley, and I, I didn't really want to 
Absolutely. I would never sound simply. I want to go, absolutely fantastic. <laughs> um, uh, she was only up the road in somebody, but I just didn't want to do like an on-spec call, you know. And yeah. everyone said, John, don't worry, because she's, that's, that's, she's, she's very private these days. And I went, okay. So I kind of went like, oh, I, thought, I wish I'd seen more of her. But I think it was fitting that I worked with her and played her husband. Uh, but there was a noticeable absence, and you'll see it. We have done we've done a kind of tribute sketch to it. I don't want to say too much about it because no, of course not. Uh, the the it's funny because my my agent said, "Oh, would you want to clear this picture?" And it's a it was a, an absolute spoiler of what's what what, what we've done in tribute mm. to Caroline. And I said, "No, don't print that because it spoils it." So yeah, there, there is a, a fitting tribute to Caroline. Um, That's good. So yeah, but, but of course you like you go back years with years. Her, yeah. The first thing was a Mitzi Goldberg experience, and I used to think, this is rubbish. I don't know why you're getting away with this. It was just like Dolly Parton, a terrible acrylic blonde wig. Caroline was naturally uh, blessed in the in the bosom department anyway, so I think that maybe kind of... Uh, <laughs> she had a reduction <laughs> later in year, later down the line, actually. And she sang these terrible country songs, but she would always have loads of mates would, like, go around with her when, when we did gigs. I went, well, you always bring your mates, don't you? And it would be like, uh, we would be on the same bill, and I would always think, well, your mate's loyal, and they'd always come. One would be designated driver, and they'd all, you know, get really drunk together. Then... When I really started getting into stand-up, I started doing a lot of gigs on my own, and I thought, my God, I know why she brings her entourage. It's <laughs> flaming lonely, this. Really. Yeah. Quite depressing. Especially when you have a bad gig, it's just you and your thoughts. It's hor- That's a horrible feeling, driving home miles. That's why I always get the train and stay over in a and b It's better. You kind of cope with it better than just driving on a really quiet motorway going, oh, where did it go? Why did I do it like that? No. Just, you know, kind of doing a post-mortem of your set, because you have died. And, um, oh, anyway. But I used to see Caroline didn't care, because she had a mates with her, and it kind of kept her buoyant, you know, after yeah. a bad gig. And then Sister Mary came along, and, and that was kind of a bit of a game-changer. But Mrs. Merton, she'd always been doing on the radio with, with Frank Sidebottom. Uh, mm. I think she was the neighbour. And she was always there. So Granada TV had the foresight to kind of put me, Steve, Coogan and Carolina Hearn together and go because it was that time in the Manchester it was that Manchester kind of time that uh, where it was a melting pot of creativity yeah. the music scene was amazing uh, all these bands were coming through and then comedy was like I mean just up the road from me I'm in Didsbury Chalton uh, on Nell Lane there was a place called the Southern and upstairs there there was the Buzz Club queued around the block people were turned away and that was just stand up that was and everybody played that gig so Granada spotted me, Steve and Caroline, and said, right, do a sketch show. And we did a show called The Dead Good Show, and it went out regionally. You can still... Steve said, oh, it's really hard, you know, getting, uh, trying to get hold of uh, footage of The Dead Good Show. And I went, why, Steve? Went, well, he taped over it. And I went, you're joking. <laughs> some respect that. They had to, like, kind of transfer it from some someone's VHS. Oh, God. You know, like... <laughs> um, he went, I don't I think they got, you know, they used to do that when they ran, because they ran out of, you know, there was like these giant beta cassettes they'd push in. Yeah. Uh, they used to, they were expensive, so they just taped shit over shows, it was bad. So that show was brilliant, but then it was a funny, po- it was a, a turning point, that really, because I kind of went off to do Cold Feet and Fast Show, Caroline went off to do Mrs. Merton, and Steve, he, he j- was doing Day to Day, and Partridge was really taking off, so they'd just, they kind of got us too late. Yeah. And we'd all, we all branched off and did our own thing. 
But great, good on Andy Harris because he was a real risk taker at Granada and he spotted talent in those three and went, right, these three need to work together. And it was a very funny show. Really, really funny show. But um, I think you could probably watch it on YouTube, but it, 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 at the time it was very funny. Was it one of those? Was it because of that time you were given free reign and a bit more control? To, for, we, for yeah, we, we were. It, it, Caroline doesn't like write. Didn't like writing. Um, she would have days where she just just go. I don't want to do it. I just want to go home. And I go. Well, come on, let's have a go. We'll try. You know. And she really. I mean, there were days. I know. I know. Some there was a sort of a love hate of the business with Caroline. I remember she was near to tears one day. She went, "I want to pack it in and just be an hairdresser." <laughs> she said to me. <laughs> And there'd been never any mention of becoming a hairdresser before, and I don't know, you know, she'd have been great with the public, you know. But, um, yeah, uh, it, it was, it, it's hard coming up with ideas. It, we were just stuck in a room in Granada and kind of like giving an office and a, pair, a pad and pen and go, off you go. And it was, it was literally that. Right. And some days you just, the muse isn't with you. You just can't think of anything. It's really mm. hard, you know. You can't, you're not funny every day. I often get my best ideas in those situations when I go at the loo. I don't know why. I come back, I'll go, hang on. <laughs> I always come up with a great idea when I've been for a wee. John, let's go, because we, whenever I have guests on, we just jump around the timeline yeah, of people's not, but Don't mind. Let's go It's back. like my brain, that, Craig. You're doing me a favour. Oh, well, it's, I think that's everybody's in it at the moment. Everybody's <laughs> like that. <laughs> let's, let's go back to uh, the beginning and the north and being born. And well, it was south, wasn't it? I was born at Hope Hospital, but it's Salford Royal now. Mm. So I was born. I was born there in '69, and then I was ad- eight weeks. I was adopted in Didsbury at the Catholic Rescue Society, which is where I live now in, in Didsbury. Mm. Which is very interesting because uh, 18 years later, I came full circle and went to drama school next door to Catholic Rescue on Parswood Road. Right? <laughs> yes, I know. How mad is that? What are the wow. chances? I had no idea yeah. it was there. So my dad went, oh, that's where you came from. I went, what? Because my mum and dad always told me when I was a kid, you know, there was no weirdness. At... Some people go, oh, it's their 18th birthday. Let's tell them they're adopted. Yeah. I think that's a bit of a mistake, to be honest. So I always knew I was adopted. So I was quite proud of it. And they said, oh, it was, you know, they did it really well. And they told the teachers at school. And it was a, it, they handled it brilliantly because it was kind of, they made you feel special because you were chosen. You were a chosen child, and it was all that kind of thing. So I've always, I've never had a stigma with it, ever. So I was adopted in Didsbury. My mum and dad uh, adopted me, and then I was taken from Didsbury to uh, a little village called New Longton, which is just outside Preston, and it's very agricultural around there. It's very green. Uh, mm-hmm. It's just off the A59, going towards Southport, south of Preston. And um, I had a great childhood. I didn't have a bad childhood. I had a lovely ta- uh, child. You know, some people go. I remember mentioning this before, saying, "Oh, we used to build rope swings over brooks and like start fires in, in woods and you know make fires and you know all that stuff that boys do and ride me bike up a disused railway line." And people read that and go, "Oh my god, it's so refreshing not to hear a story of someone who wasn't beaten." And you know what I mean? I thought, well, not all people have. You know, it seems to be this thing that if you go into entertainment, the reason why you're escaping some horror from your youth. I'm very fortunate to say I was adopted. It's a lottery, though, adoption. I could have had a rotten time. I couldn't have, you know, I've had abusive parents, you know. But mine were lovely and brought me up properly. I was a pain in the arse. My mum took me to the doctors and thought I was hyperactive. And he said, well, how many hours does he sleep? And she went, oh, eight to ten. He went, well, he's not really hyperactive. So (laughs) considering my... 
what my behaviour was like at school generally, and and I think oh, I am a on the spectrum. I'm AD without the HD, so right. I'm attention deficit, but very bright. So I was tested. Uh, Mum and Dad went, "What's wrong?" We didn't really know what was wrong with me, so they tested me with a child developmental psychologist, and I had a massive IQ off the scale apparently. And then and then the the guy went, "This is unbelievable," and he said, "If you could handle things." to the clock, you know, timed things, like those chess clocks. Yeah. He'd do like a tangram puzzle where he'd go, well, that's the card, and they're the pieces, can you do that? And I went, do we have to use the clock? And he went, yeah, I'm afraid we do. And I went, mm. So I, the, the, the constraints of time threw me. I wasn't very good at those. And he said, if you could have done that, he went, I've never said anything like it. And I was like, sounds great now, because I, I feel like I'm one of the X-Men. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean? I, I really felt... It really, he said he's very, very gifted. And I had a reading age of 18 when I was seven. And, you know, it used to be at my school, it was a spectrum of books. So it was red, orange, yellow, blue, indigo, violet, then gold, mm. bronze, silver, and gold. And I'd done them. I just looked to the God, oh, I've read all them, you know. But it doesn't mean I was reading War and Peace. I've no, but still. Them, you know what I mean? But still, <laughs> I, flew, I flew through them. I mean, spelling's great as well. So. But the thing is, I think because I was bright, uh, I kind of struggled at school and um, I kind of put the attention deficit thing down to being adopted because I, I, I ended up doing child developmental psychology at A-level and looked at adoption studies and, and realised that if you don't have the early, nurture, early nurturing and imprinting from the mother, your birth mother, you tend to miss out something and you compensate in your life. Right. You're always searching for, for attention. And I found that with other adopted kids as well. So I think I channeled it into entertaining. Right. Sometimes they're the wrong, you know, the wrong attention. At the wrong like times, when I'm, yeah. It's like teach, I've, I've subsequently discovered that uh, what I was known as, a, well, I was a low-level disruptor. And that is just, <laughs> that's what I, I was. And it's one of the worst things for a teacher. Any teachers listening to this, karma's come round because I feel that for every class I was told to leave and stand outside the door is a heckle when I'm doing my stand-up. <laughs> I feel, because I was he- re- technically heckling the teachers, and yeah. it's awful. He- he- hecklers are a pain in the arse, you know. Sometimes they're a useful tool if you've got the good comeback. But that's all I was. I was a heckler. So when I've been heckled, I- I'm-, I'm being served some karma there. That's fair enough. <laughs> and I apologise to any teachers who I, who I, low- uh, I disrupted their classes on a low level. <laughs> Uh, now I'm trying to I'm gonna make my amends, as it were. Now, but um, yeah. So, but that said, uh, I went to Catholic school, so it was quite strict. The primary school I did I did was Fagin when I was ten, and apparently did a very good job. I don't really remember it. I remember I remember I had to sing "Reviewing the Situation," which is a a bit of a, a bastard of a song to sing for a ten year old. Then at secondary school, uh, I didn't do very well academically because I didn't really, I, I didn't care, I, to be honest. I didn't really care. I just wanted to be in the shows. So we did Catholic school, obviously. We'd, I, we did My Fair Lady, and I had a little part in that. And then I did Joseph in Joseph and the Technical of Dreamcoat. And I was Judas in Jesus Christ Superstar, which is a hell of a singing part. And I don't really know how I pulled that off, but I must have done. And uh, then I went to sixth form in Leyland uh, at Runshaw College. It's a great college. And I did theatre studies A-level there, and I came top. Loved it, and I, I, I left there and went to Manchester Poly School of Theatre. So from quite an early age, you were very focused on, right, th- this is the path for me, this is what I'm going to want to be doing just, for the rest of my life. Yeah, I just loved the laugh. I loved getting laughs, and I loved kind of... And not just that, but just liked... I felt happy entertaining really that's what i am really craig i'm not an actor because i play drums professionally I, um 
Anything, I'd hate to think I would be bad at anything I don't love. So anything creative, I try to master. Mm. But anything I'm not interested in, I couldn't care less if I was terrible at it. But it does help when you do things that you take... A couple of things I've done that I, I took to very quickly were one was temping bowling and the other was clay pigeon shooting. So I really loved those two things. But sport-wise, I was terrible. And early on, I have a hatred of football because at school, at the base, well, I, pardon the pun, grassroots level, <laughs> you, you know when they put the goalposts, it's like a run wrong manager, isn't it? Jump us for a yeah. goalpost. <laughs> when they put them down, you just remember in primary school, they go, Tony, Billy, uh, and they go, Johnny or oh, Tomo, just go in nets. So they put you in the goal because you couldn't really tackle or dribble. Yeah. And, of course, you'd let the ball in for your team because you were shite and you'd get yes. a thump. So after a while, that's going to that's gonna take its toll, isn't it? And, yeah. an, and that nurtured a, a, a hatred of team sports, not only playing but watching. Now, the way I'm built... It's very unfortunate that we didn't do rugby at my school because I think maybe I might have been all right at that because I'm built like a brick outhouse. Um, but we didn't do it. We did soccer and hated it. So now I kind of, I absolutely loathe sport. And people go, I don't understand why. And I said, well, it's one less disappointment in life. And they went, well, that's one way of looking at it, I suppose. True. Because, because I don't follow a team. I don't follow England. I don't follow... I don't follow any of those things, and I've seen grown men cry when England don't qualify for the World <laughs> Cup. Proper, as the as the as the Red Cross dribbles down their face. <laughs> um, it's I, it makes I, I just I mean to have that passion's great, but also I mean my rule of thumb. To, one of the things is if you want to have a happier life, one don't follow any sport, and two don't read a paper. I don't read a newspaper. I, if you're going to find something out, you'll find out about it one way or the other. You know, big news travels. You know, yeah. But you don't have to read a newspaper. And I've found that... I used to get the week, it's great, but I just... With COVID, it dominates the press so much, I don't want to read it. it, it it's just such a, you know... It oh, dominates. There was a, there was a time, uh, early lockdown, where I had to have the radio off. Mm. Because there was just news, news, news. And it was... I just couldn't take it anymore. I I'm fit, right with you. I couldn't fit anything else in. And I just put my little speaker on. And I thought, I need... I need to hear people talking. So I was just like, my, my, I was just digesting loads of podcasts because it's just, yeah. oh, well, I've got conversations or I've got this situation or I've got a story to listen to that's not about what's going on. Exactly. Right we know now. it's I going on. To... We know it's there. We know it's that. We know it is. Right. And we, the thing is just to bide your time. And I said before, all things shall pass. They will. You know, at the time, they never seem like they will. But patience comes with age, really. I, I mean, the younger you are. That My nanny used to say to me, patience is a virtue Keep it if you can. Seldom found in women, but never in a man, right? <laughs> and I thought, I've never forgotten that. And I thought, well, there's some truth in that, especially if you've seen me behind the wheel. Um, I, that's the only thing. I am a very mild-mannered, measured kind of together person these days, I'd like to think. But behind the wheel, I'm a devil. On my yeah. own. Yeah, I'm like, what's he doing? Why are you <laughs> commenting on dry? I'm terrible. I really wish... Do you know I have to have, like, zen, chill, like, kind of music in the car to kind of... To keep you level. Yeah. There's, like, an old cartoon where it's, like, goofy, and he walks out of the house and he gets behind the wheel, the horns <laughs> come out, and I think, oh, my God, that's me, that. I'm not that, I mean, I'm not... But I do know it needs sorting out. I do know. I think it may be where I exercise my... Uh, you know, my demons are exercised behind the wheel, maybe a bit. 
I made a conscious effort not to be like that. I have to really go, right, I'm, and if someone's, like, really aggressive, and I'll just give them a little wave and yeah. a smile, and they're furious oh, yeah. that, I, that I'm not angry, that it's not ruined my day. I'm just going, well, I'm going to get there when I get there. I like no it when rush. they do it at the lights. They go, ooh, ooh, and they're going to want to race you. <laughs> and you're like, look at them, and you go like that, and they just and I just let them speed off. <laughs> yeah. And they're gutted. <laughs> Instead of racing them, I just go, ooh, just pull away, and they're absolutely... John, you were talking about, um, you know, the need for attention before, and you were talking about, you know, your birth mother. Was there any um, need or want within within you as a person to try and find your birth mother? Always curious, curiosity, and it got worse the older I got. Right, um, to be honest. But one thing that held me back was that my mum and dad are my mum and dad because I was a baby. And I don't mm. really see, um, I know a few things, you know, it would. It was, um, I know a little more, uh, on a practical level I need to know, for, for medical records, because I always found it very difficult filling out medical forms where they go, is there a history of heart disease in your family? And well, I don't know, you know, yeah. yeah. and it, was, it, was, it would be nice to know. So I know a little bit more, but the thing is, I was, I've always been a bit concerned about, uh, like, uh, who do you think you are came knocking? And and the thing is, because my mum and dad are, in my eyes, my mum and dad, despite, but they didn't just, just because they're not biologically connected to me, I don't feel that it's something I should do in their lifetime because I feel it's a bit of a rebuff. Mm. Now, people say, well, it's your right. Well, that's very all well and good, but I, I, I do, I, I do, I think there's a duty of care here as well. So, just to say, well, it's my right, and that I, I think they might be a little bit, you know, I don't know. I don't. I've, I'm not really talking to them about it, to be honest. But I know bits and and stuff and and uh, ancestry. I know a bit. I know. And I, I know for a fact I'm 83 percent Irish. From the, I did one of those swabs. Oh yeah, yeah. But I was a bit disappointed, really. I mean, not not not. I love the fact that I'm because uh, I knew my mum was Irish anyway. It's not the fact that I was Irish, but I wanted to be a bit more exotic. <laughs> <laughs> Don't we all? Yeah, John? like Viking and, you know, and all that. But it was just uh, 83% Irish and the 11% is a, is a right mixture. I don't know. that, But, um, yeah, that's that, that's interesting. To, to it, It's kind of like, I mean, I know that my mum uh, passed away in 2016, my biological mum, but it, it wasn't, it was a bit weird to hear it, but it was, um, I never knew her. You know, I never don't no. bond with her, so it does. It's it's different, you know. Yeah, of course, it's different. It's um, it, different people do different things. I do, to be honest, I know people who who are very close to, to the their adoptive parents, and they do meet the the pair, the the biological. And it, uh, the most stories I've heard aren't great, aren't great. Mm. Not really, not too great because they have an expectation and it's shattered, or they become. Uh, I've heard they've. They, they uh, some of them kind of start leeching on them, like they're a meal ticket, you know, and they find yeah. they find that they're successful. Or it, 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 I think it's one of those kind of things that it it wasn't meant to be, really. Well, of course, and you were adopted so young, so there was of course, and, of course, there was no bond, but there was no knowledge there. Absolutely, your, Absolutely. your, your mum and dad were your mum and dad, and that was that. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, there's always. There's always curiosity there. I mean, people contact me on Facebook and and, and someone gave me a terrible bum steer about um, that my mum's uh, biological mother's uh, passing and it wasn't true and it was very strange behaviour because I told her what, the, the truth of what she, how she had actually 
uh, passed away, and, and she was really shocked. And I just thought, well, well, why? Who's told you this information? Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. very strange because, I mean, you can literally find out anything through the internet, really. Now, anything uh, at all. But the thing about someone said to me, if you want to do it properly, it's very expensive, and that's when they say if you want to, if you want to do it yourself, because like ancestry is not cheap. You know, no. that subscription, that's really not cheap. And, you know, and it, uh, uh, but they said, uh, if you do, who do you think you are? They, they do it for you and you save yourself a fortune. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the reason they said, if you wanted to do it, do go on that show. So I'm, I'm, it's not never say never. I mean, it, it's, we'll see. I know, but there's something so different about doing that. You want to do something for yourself and you want to do it personally, but to do it publicly and just have exactly. to that, that'd be... I know. I, I, you know, if I would find that quite jarring. I do have a, a an eight, I do have a good. Uh, uh, my, so my second biological my my biological second cousin's been in touch, mm. and she said she's traced the family. She's the she's the one doing the family tree, right? So I do have a, a historical historically famous relative, and that is Grace O'Malley, the Irish female pirate. Really? Is related to me. Wow. How good is that? My daughters were thrilled. <laughs> you know, because there's these like really good books for girls now, like strong women of the. You know what I mean? They're, like yeah. those, like Camille Pallier and 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 and, and uh, all, all, all women that made the mark in history. And in one of the books, I went, "You're related to her." And my my, my Sophia went, "No, Olivia's going." We? Oh yeah, pirate. God, that's great. So yeah, that's a cool thing. That's a genuine thing. I am related to. That's part of my bloodline. Which is quite ironic because on your T-shirt now is a bit of a, a, a pirate motif. It, it is. That's Johnny Cupcakes. Albeit or, 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 or with a cupcake instead of a skull. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, John, when we were... Was it Manchester Poly? I went to we were, Manchester Poly t- School of Theatre, yeah. And what were you doing? What were you studying there? Theatre studies? Or? It, uh, it was a diploma in theatre, which right. was then recognised as a degree. But clearly, again, I went there to train to be an actor. I didn't go there mm. to get a qualification. It's again. It's the academia side of it. it doesn't really appeal to me. Um, and also, it's like when's when's the last time anyone went for a job and they ask me ask you what O levels you got? Exactly. You yeah. know what I mean? I, I, it's quite clear that things have changed. Really, I, I think it's quite because that the truth will out when you get the job if you if you think. Yeah. <laughs> If you can, you do it. Can you cut the mustard? We'll see. We'll see. Let's see. So uh, I did. I did that. And um, so first year, I loved because it was playing games. And but what? But it was the the, the games were very cleverly <clears throat> intended to see how you bonded with other people. It was team. You know, you were your team player. Were you, you know, and it, it was constant ga- drama games. And I absolutely. Relished it, loved it. Mm. I just thought, is this this is just the best thing in the world? It's going to. Well, but the that's the brilliant thing about drama games, especially even with younger children. There's always an ulterior motive, so people can sit back and they can watch how people bond because it's just free play, and it's just so all good. their all their inhibitions are gone. And oh, that's God. why I, you know that's why I think drama's so important in schools at such a young age because, you know, the little quiet one can be free and they can just become themselves for a bit. And I think it's Absolutely. so sad that it's, that it's being taken away more and more. But anyway, so that was your first year at Manchester Poly. Second year was devised and I hated it. And I came up with an idea. I wanted to do a thing about books. Kids not reading as much books as many. I mean, this is back in 80, 
that's been no, 80, that'll be 88, 1988, I was sort of saw the decline of kids reading. So I wanted to do a device about getting kids into books again. So it was a great were, you still, were you still so, yeah. quite a vivacious reader at that point? Yeah, pretty good. And then I read, yeah. uh, then, then I, um, yeah, but not the books on, you know, like the set text, like Stella's <laughs> My Life in Art. I was like, oh, boring. Brutal Brecht. I was like, that reading any old shite. Um, so, I mean, stuff I was supposed to see. It's the academic thing again. I'm like, oh, really? So, um, uh, yeah, but the thing is, what you did, if you had an idea for a device, it was like, uh, you know, those university where you go round to the things and go, oh, that, that, can I get a brochure for Warwick? And it was like that. People, I was, so I set my stall up about a, a thing going out to schools. It was mm. about reading. And no one, no one bit. Anyway, I ended up doing a thing about AIDS with a very, with a mature student from New Zealand called Jean, who was very, very feminist. <laughs> and I wasn't. And I, I, she was very kind of progressive uh, uh, about, she was quite right on. For right. 18, in 89, I mean, you've got to remember, I'm 19. So I've got a right on bisexual feminist from New Zealand who had made to measure shoes that look like oven gloves. <laughs> <laughs> I kid ye not. And we didn't really see eye to eye, and I ended up doing a device thing with Jean, and it, it, that, that's where the wheels fell off, right? Right. So I was called in after the device, and they said, I think you should leave, John, and, it, and I broke down. And I went, honestly, it's just not my thing, this. I said, will you please trust me? And I said, my mum and dad will kill me. if I. It. They said, well, you've not much life experience. And I went... I said, if you, I will promise you, I'll pull my socks up. I said, because the third year I knew was just performance. It's just plays for the public. You put, we put them on at the, you know, we put them on for the public. Mm. And I just knew I'd be in my element doing that. I mean, I had no say in what plays were picked, but everyone got one lead and, you know, and then a decent support and over all the things. I think we're 24 in our year. And, um, I get on great with Gene, by the way. Now we had a reunion. Oh, did you? <laughs> yeah. But you know, you, ch you change with the times, don't you? I was a bit, but I was like, I was a nineteen-year-old kid. She was like a mature student. Were. You know, I just didn't know about gender politics and what was right and wrong. You know. Anyway, you don't know who you, don't know who you are at nineteen. No, I don't know anything else. But I was always mature for me years. Everyone thought I was always thought I was a lot older than I was. Um, I think it's because I got quite a good good vocabulary. I think if you know. If you throw in the odd word like recalcitrant, people kind of go, God, he's, he's, he's a lot older than... You know what I mean? It's like... <laughs> which I was, ironically. I was very recalcitrant at college. Anyway, I said to them, don't, please. And I cried. And I went, my mum and dad will kill me. I went, I'll pull my socks up. They went, right. So they, they had a chat and they went, all right, we'll give you the benefit of the doubt. And they did. And I went, I worked very hard in the third year. And, I, mm. and, 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 and I'm here where I am now. But it was a great drama school because they taught you what not to do. You can't te you can't teach acting. I don't I don't believe you can. But I mean, there are people who can't, and you, you shouldn't really. I feel very. I've been out to LA, and I, 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 there's some serious money spinning going on out there where they do class, and there are they're taking advantage of people on like a tier system of right. almost pyramid selling acting, where well you could be in this 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 tier of actors, you know, like a. You know, group you you could rise up to the, this, and, and the, there are people who clearly can't. You know, it's yeah. like dancing. There people can't dance. There's people can't sing. Acting's another one of those creative things. Some people can't do it, but they'll just take their money. And of course, they're well, not getting any better. 
And they're just taking the money and taking yeah. the money. And they, they think, well, I will get better. And you, what the, any teacher worth their soul should go, mate, you can't cut it. Think of something else. Yeah. But so I've seen it happen over in the States. I've seen it happen over here, though, John. There was somebody who, uh, they were, they were not a friend, they were kind of an acquaintance. Yeah. And they were, they were pushing something on social media, which was a, a acting for screen weekend workshop. Yeah. And uh, it was something, I, I've, I've mentioned this before on another episode, I'm sure, but they, they were saying, get in now for an early bird ticket. Um, and it's, it's, you know, 180 pound a day. And it's like, well, what, you, that's an offer. That's a special offer for people who are on like, yeah, very low income. And it was being taught by somebody who I've never heard of oh, in my yeah. life. And I'm going, well, what experience are you passing down to these <laughs> younger people who can't, they can't afford to get into drama school, but you're going to take them, take all their money for like 50 people for your workshop for the weekend. You're, you're raking it in, mate. It's you're doing all right. Terrible. It's terrible. It's Another terrible. thing I said when I was in LA, I went, what, who sees your work? Who sees it? It's all very well practicing scenes from plays and films, and who sees it? And they went, "Do casting come?" And they went, "Not really, no." And they went, "Occasionally, yeah." And I went, "Okay." And, and what, what happens then? They went, "Oh, that's extra." I went, "Oh, it would be, wouldn't it?" Of course. Oh my God. So the, for a, it's a it's a premium for a casting director to come down and watch you work. That's how it works. I think sometimes so many people want it. You know, of course they want it over here and they want to train and they want to, to do it all. But over there, everybody else, every other person wants to be an actor. And people just take advantage. Yeah, terrible. It's terrible. It's it. But LA is very hungry. I mean, everyone wants to be Everyone wants to be in the business in some manner. You know, I mean, uh, I, I went out there with just a kind of, you know, all chipper and that, and I came away with a tail between my legs because it's starting again. No one's ever heard of you. They don't care about you. They, they're, not, they're not interested. They do not care what body of work. I mean, someone went, oh, my God, your CV is on four pages. And it's like, and then as I left the office, I heard, <laughs> the shredder. I heard the shredder. Just, just heard it going, you know, me 10 by 8. <laughs> <laughs> It's like you feel they blow so much smoke up your arse over there. You go, oh, my God, I have, I'm going to get something major here. Enough, no. You have to move there. You have to start from the beginning, unless you get a lucky break. I worked with Catherine Tate on Billionaire Boy, and Catherine said to me, never go unless you're invited. Yeah. She did the office out there. And I think it's the best advice I could give any actor. Don't, because it's all self-taping now anyway. You can do it digitally. You don't have to go out there for pilot season doing the rounds. No, those you've, days are gone. They're well gone. You just send it off, you know, and if you're good enough, you'll get a break. There's a lot of luck involved. You've got to be at the right place at the right time. Some people, you know, you, you, you know, you get you get lucky. But you, sometimes you never know what they're looking for, especially self-tapes. I've, had to, I've done where I've had to cut. I've been in a hallway and I've been at a desk and I'm like, do I do... How far do I go? How tight do I go? It's very hard, but it's but it works. I mean, look at Andy Lincoln. He got um, yeah, he got Walking Dead off his iPhone. So yeah, there's proof. Proof it but works. But also, uh, you know, how many brilliant actors have you known in the past? Who you've gone? Well, wait a minute. Why aren't you working? You're incredible, yeah. and this just hasn't happened. But you know, it is luck, and it is right time, right place. It's funny. I feel sorry for soap actors because. They're good actors, you know, but because they're in soaps, they get that kind of... 
get tarred with that brush that they're not like they're a substandard actor. Well, it's a living. But also, you know, they're actors who just happen to be in a soap and work their arse off. I've no. I, I mean. You've you've I done your it. time in Coronation Street. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I know someone who used to be in Coronation Street. I still do, actually. And I've looked at their schedule and all their colour coded scripts in the unit. Oh, I've got to go to that unit now. I've got to go. It's fine. Geographically, yeah. I, you've got. Where are you? Because you're filming Mental. different episodes, different timelines. I mean, hats off, man. I mean, the I funny agree. thing is, the um, I haven't seen it, but I did see it a little bit on social media. The new Batman trailer has has just. Dropped or the teaser has dropped, and every, there was a guy in it who used to be in EastEnders, and everybody's gone, "Oh my God, so and so." Yeah. I, saw, I saw Tony Slattery in it, the trailer. I think Tony's no. in it, you know. Really? Yeah, I'm sure I saw I Tony mean, in it. But there was somebody who used to be in EastEnders, and someone was going, "Oh, look, it's so and so from EastEnders," and you go, "Well, yeah, he's he's an actor and he's grafting. That's what he does." Well, he's it's not- like Oscar Jameson, who was. Uh, it was Tony in Cor- in, in uh, EastEnders back in the day. We know when hmm. Cassie and Kelvin, Tony Carpenter from Jamaica. Just, just he's, about. <laughs> he's the sweet shop owner in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory with Willy Wonka uh, with is Johnny he, Depp. Is he? Yeah. But they do pop up and go, but I'm delighted. Exactly. I'm thrilled to go, great, he's still working. I know. Yeah, it's a joy to see. Or when someone, you, someone goes, oh, so and so, I've just seen him working in the Costa. Yeah, well, yeah, he's got, he's probably got a mortgage to pay, and he's exactly. got, and if and if things aren't doing, he's not going to sit on his ass waiting yeah. for an email or a phone call, is he? He's going to get out there and graft. Exactly. And you know, that's what I say to you know the younger actors who I speak to. Sometimes I go, well, don't just be defined by doing one thing. You've got to try and get out there and do as much as you can. Exactly. You do. That's why. I'd, that's why I've got so many strings to me bow because I knew I didn't want to be a stand-up Craig. I, I, I just kind of like it was a natural progression and it worked. But it's a terrifying job. I don't do much of it anymore. I mean, I can't at the moment. I, I mean, I've done Zoom interviews, but Zoom stand-up. I think I would have to have you know soundboards where they do like a dog barking and a a thing. I think I'd have to have a thing in my pocket, like a button that have my own candle laughter on. Just to, you know what I mean? Just to encourage myself, <laughs> yeah. Because I've done it, and it's weird, and you can just see. It's like watching doing a Zoom thing. It's like watch when you've got a lot on. It's like goggle box, but all at the same time, mm. and you're performing to them because they're getting up, and the then they're muting it, and the, I've seen it them falling out, and then there's no one on the sofa, and then they come <laughs> back, and it's like. Imagine doing a theatre job where everyone just like got up and went to the bar when they wanted or... Well, to be honest, John, the very few plays I've done, that's, it reminds me of a few that I've been in, to be honest, just get up or fall asleep in front of you while you're well, on stage. Yes, the Wednesday matinees at the Royal Exchange are a oh, bit like that. Eh? But, John, speaking of stand-up, when was, when was the idea of going to Edinburgh when, with, when you and Steve sort of got together? So Steve had been doing... Uh, opposite opposite our drama school uh, was a pub called the Parswood. It's still there. Sadly, they're not in the drama school down, and it was listed. It's tragic that it went, but just one of those things. The Parswood pub is still going strong in Didsbury, and that was a drinker's pub, that, and it had a snug and a lounge. And Steve used to go in there, and he would get... He, he would be inspired for his character. At the time, Paul Calf, hmm. the mank drunk lad. The la- He's just a lad, isn't he? Yeah, uh, his name was Duncan Disorderly, 
Right. Which is a brilliant comedy name, but if you're going to put him in a real narrative, which we did later, you can't yeah. you can't do it because not unless he changed him by deed pole, but you wouldn't, <laughs> would you? So, and then there was, so, but it kind of tallied with his other character, which was like Junkin Thicket, which was a train spotter at the time, which we, we what we call a geek, really now. Um. Uh, so the, he's, Steve was developing a stable of kind of characters, and they were these. He's, uh, were uh, was Paul Calf and uh, Duncan, which became Duncan the Duncan Thicket. He did, and um, I was messing around with the idea of doing a, which is so. I think I, now's the time, if any, to bring him back. Was Bernard Wright on, which was the politically correct version of Bernard Manning. Now, initially. When I came on stage, I did it like uh, Imagine If, which is a very, you know, it's a, a kind of very user-friendly um, device that stand-ups use. Yeah. So I went, can you imagine it? Bernard Manning uh, I, I saw the light and, he, he, and he, he regretted his ways of all his racist, sexist comedy. And he, and he kind of, and he, and he realised there was no time for that in society. It's, there was no time for that in society anymore. And he turned over a leaf and he, he, he rewrote his set. So I, I, then I'd say, there's a black fella, a Pakistani and a Jew in a nightclub having a drink. Well, what a fine example of an integrated community, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> and everyone was like, what? What's this? Um, so I would just develop on, I would kind of riff on that theme. Um, so it would be kind of like, there's a lesbian, a bisexual, then a homosexual in a bar having a drink. Oh, they had a great night. People would be, be just left hanging and people would go, right, and then people kind of warmed to the idea of it. And then what I did was I took it a stage further and I bought an old evening suit from a charity shop and put some padding in, but sometimes, depending on, I'm very up and down, me. Sometimes I don't need the padding. <laughs> uh, I put a cushion up my tummy the old frilly shirt and the bow tie old school wheel tappers and shunters old working men's club comedian yeah. changed my hair a bit fag on because you could smoke then you could smoke in all the clubs and have a pint and uh, I did the proper you know leading on the microphone and all that you know but I even took it to the point where I drummed in the working men's clubs from the age of 16 to 18 solidly every Saturday Sunday night uh, back in Terrible cabaret artists and some good ones. So I knew the whole vibe, you know, and some we had comics on as well. So I knew it inside out. I knew what yeah. it was all that about. So um, I'd go, but I would take it, I would try and take dimensions of uh, of the clubs t- into the PC version of Murder Manning, where it would be like, um, pie and peas on sale, organic, of course, and vegetarian. And uh, it would be like... <laughs> So everything in this club, and there used to be a show on Granada called the Wheel Tappers, uh, Wheel Tappers and Shunters Club, mm. and I renamed it the Green Tappers and Hummus Club. <laughs> 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 so it was a great life in the Green Tappers and Hummus Club. So we, I rewrote that, and um, yeah, there was things like you know people go. Can the owner of a Ford Cortina registrations? Eh? You've left your lights on, and you have to make these announcements in the club. And I used to go, uh, "Will the owner of a Vauxhall Astra registration A three five three RKJ please get a catalytic converter because it's better for the environment?" So what I did was try to flesh him out three dimensionally yeah. and make him a bit of a green eco kind of thing. And that that now 
it couldn't be more pertinent, you know. Yeah, of course. But you've got to be careful because in the North, the people immediately identified with who Bernard Manning was and who I was doing a parody of. So they, they knew Bernard and what he stood for and everything. But that aside, Bernard Manning was a fantastic joke teller, a great timing and a brilliant comedian. Unfortunately, his subject matter wasn't great at all, you know. Mm. But of its time, before we've kind of woken up and seen what, what offends... Of the time, he is as a technician, he was fantastic. He was a brilliant, brilliant comedian. But he kind of shot himself in the foot when he went on Caroline's show as Mrs. Merton because he just declared his out his racism to the public, mm. and it was like because people want wanting to kind of think, oh well, he's it's a bit of a character that Bernard does, you know, yeah, he's not really like that. Mm. And everyone went, oh dear, oh no, he is like that. So he shot himself in the foot on that appearance. Um, so I never went to see him. Uh, because I was too frightened, really. <laughs> he did comment about me. He went, I've never heard of him. He went, I've heard of that Steve Coogan. He used to, think me, he used to fill me caddy up with petrol in Middleton. And it's true. <laughs> Steve was a petrol really? pump attendant back in the day when you when you, had a, you were a filler. You know, you'd fill yeah. up. And he, he did fill Bernard's. He used to fill Bernard's Cadillac car up with petrol. <laughs> but he, he claimed no knowledge of me. But, but, but what happened as a result of doing Bernard right on was a great love from the old school comedians who knew Bernard. I get on very well with uh, Bobby Ball, Tommy Cannon, uh, Mick Miller, mm. all that lot. They kind of, uh, Roy Walker, they knew Bernard and they love what I've done with that character. So I felt very humbled and very, very grateful and honoured that the old school comics really, like, because I am I was like, what would you class as an alternative comic at the time? Um, yeah. Loved my stuff. Steve, Steve, so back to the original question. We've digressed a bit. Steve saw potential in Bernard and went, well, well he'd be perfect to compare the show, to link it. We'd, we can, you know, to link the show. So his other character, we, I used to relish writing with Steve was, because um, we wrote together, uh, it was Ernest Moss, which was uh, the the sort of hand, handyman kind of fire officer, uh, health and safety expert kind of bloke who was yeah. based loosely on Steve's dad who, bless him, two years ago passed away. Uh, and and But Steve actually said to his dad, um, he said, uh, Dad, can we do some, take some photos of the basement his house in Middleton? And his dad went, no, Steve, you can't. And I, I've never seen Tony gets across. And I, Steve went, all right. All right, okay, sorry, because he had some much. He's brilliant at uh, building things and electric. He was an electrical engineer and mm. fantastic. He could fix anything. And Steve went, Dad, all right, calm down. He said, he said, no, you can't, you can't film in the basement. Steve went, why? He went, some of that wiring's not council approved. <laughs> <laughs> so what we did was a great thing, and it was a fu- it was a fantastic way of uh, of uh, of working. We would go out in character round Manchester with a photographer, dressed up, and go stop here. That's brilliant. Get out and and create a tableau in character, photograph yeah. it, and put it on slides. Then we put them onto slides, and then we would uh, look at the picture and go, "What's right? What's funny here? What's what can we say?" And we worked organically like that. So we just take a picture and go right. We'll do. We'll say this. He goes. This is the Bussy Bar Plus, but it had burnt out. You know. He goes. Uh, and um, unfinished section of the Mancunian flyover. <laughs> me stood at the top. So what? Kind of there was a sub story that it, that Robin, his son, was suicidal because his dad was horrible to him. I mean, it's quite dark. 
But we used to love writing Ernest. It was just, it was just such a laugh writing that kind of character. Because we gone, we nearly called him Ernie Stickler, because uh, it sounded a bit like Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> but he was a stickler for the rules, you see. So yeah. it was Ernie Stickler, and it sounds like Ernest Hitler. But they would we'd deliberate for hours over jokes, means they. We kind of, we, you know, we would get we get very frustrated with the laziness of some kind of comedy. I was very shocked when I saw the the the, the success of uh, Four Weddings and a Funeral when Rowan Atkinson gets up as the vicar and goes wibble wobble wibble. And the whole mm. place erupted, and I went. It just baffled me why people were laughing. I didn't really, you know. That that's that's a. I have a. I, I don't. I don't think I have such a, a particularly. Oh, hello. Hello. Go a bit weird then. Oh, we got. I think no, do, you know back. it catches up. Yeah. Goes, hey. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> I tell you an experience I had that's very strange recently, Craig. That uh, one oh. show. I don't consider myself to have a very. Uh, sophisticated sense of humour but I, I know what's funny and I went to see Book of Mormon and I walked out walked Did out you? and I was really shocked I was very very excited to see it I was on tour yeah. at, the, at the time I was doing the two and the God be with Claire Sweeney uh, September in the Rain which is a great play and then we had a day off we were at Bromley they went I've got tickets front row of the circle for um, I've got house seats to see Book of Mormon well I've seen I've read the hype kill for a ticket they went on Oh my God, I got there and I just thought, and it was the strangest experience. I can only describe it as that when they remade that video, Mad World, um, uh, slowed down version of that Tears for Fear song, mm. where they do that effect where the bloke's walking down the street and everything's bustling behind him. I was in a room of people roaring, laughing, and I felt completely alone. And I was, yeah. I, I found it very strange. And, and I, don't, I don't know what, I didn't understand why people found it so funny. So I walked. At the interval, got my coat on. They went. People went. Are you going? And I went. Yeah. And they went. Why? Well, I went. So it's not for me. This. I don't rate it. I think it's like. I think it's lazy writing, to be honest. And um, people. But it's not that you found. It's not that you found it offensive. It's no, you just didn't connect. You didn't just, connect with it. No, I didn't connect with it. I just thought it was just like it's all right, you know. But so many people. I mean, in life, generally, I tend to go in with very low expectation, then I'm amply rewarded at the end. But I, was in, I went into this with very high expectation. Yeah. And it wasn't at all what I expected at all. But people do still kind of... And I put on Facebook, back in the day when I would put things on Facebook, I just, I mean, it's still there as a kind of... I like getting me birthday messages, to be honest. I think we all do. I think that's why we stay on, a lot of us. I mean, it's for the olds, isn't it, I think, it's Facebook. But I did put, I remember, because it, it came up on memories, it went, I've just walked out of Book of Mormon. Am I a freak? And someone put, no, John, you're a breath of fresh air. But that was the only comment. Right. I thought, well, there is someone else out there. <laughs> I felt like, was this, is there something wrong with me? But that is it when... Oh, no, you're back. When, that is when something is so hyped... Or she said, you've got to watch this, you've got to read this, you've got to see it. And sometimes it makes me back away because, oh, no, 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 I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll either n never go near it or I'll wait for the hype to die down. Uh, yeah, I, I, I agree. It can be, yeah, totally. I mean, I think in, this, in, in the current climate we're in, uh, we were spoiled greatly by the Tiger King. <laughs> uh, well, again, I haven't seen it. 
Have you not seen it? No. I no. love that. Do you know, I love the fact you've not seen it because it's so out there as a documentary. I mean, it, it was like the buzz on that, it was one of them that I had to kind of get, you know, get on board. And, and, and that, that will not disappoint you, I can assure you. John, I'll, I've, I've never said this before. I've never seen With Nail and I. Okay, fair enough. Because I never watched... And let's say, this is a great game. I never watched Minder. <laughs> you never watched Minder? No, never. Never watched it. Never Too watched it. Time. Here's a good one. Name what? a show that you used to watch as a child, but hated, but watched anyway. Oh. I'll tell you two. Go on. Top Cat. Couldn't stand it. Didn't like really? it. Didn't really like it. Another one, Dukes of Hazard. Hated it. I never really connected with Dukes of Hazzard. get it? I tell you, when I was younger, what I was fascinated by, but it used to scare the shit out of me, was Bagpuss. Yeah, scary, weird. Because, yeah. you know, when it went into that... that sepia those, into colour. Those sepia images, at first I found them very dark and quite spooky, and it yeah. used to freak me out, but I was so fascinated by it. That yeah. I, kinda, I think there was something in me that goes, oh, no, I, I want to be kind of a bit freaked out and a bit scared by it, but it was quite hypnotic, and the yeah. music... it was odd. It was odd. But yeah, I think there's a few shows I used with... to sit, I'd watch every, religiously every week. I think it was when I lived at home. I don't think my mum and dad liked it either. We just, it was just, you know, that's the thing. Telly was just on, wasn't it? It's it was on, yeah. Just on. Yeah. And also, you, you know, back then you don't have that, is it a luxury? I don't know. Of, uh, of you know, three three channels and then when Channel 4 started, you've got four channels. Tell you a funny it, story yeah. about that. Um, I spoke to someone, uh, we're talking about repeat fees, because the, the, so the initial rule of thumb with, with repeats was uh, you get paid for a second showing on the same channel, and then your third, if you were on that channel, which is quite unlikely, so you'd be shown twice on BBC, and then a third time you'd be shown, you'd get your full fee, apparently. That was how it was, mm. that was the uh, original and I said, cool, but imagine the kind of money that David Jason and Nicholas Lindhurst are on. You know what I mean? They must be on some serious repeats. And uh, uh, a member of crew went to me and went, you know the crew get a little cut as well? They, go, they, get, they get repeats as well, the crew that works on it. I went, well, I thought it was only actors got royalties. He went, no. He goes, the crew, the crew get a little bit. He goes, he goes, and that's why all cameramen over the age of 70 live in Chiswick. <laughs> <laughs> He said they're on so much repeat, they've got so much wow. like... I didn't realise crew got royalties. No, I didn't, but good for them because, yeah, great. my God, they, they don't just swan in and get handed a cup of tea. They're grafting their there early doors, doors and leaving last minute. They don't get little breaks. No. So just going back to Edinburgh, John, was that yeah. the first time you'd gone to Edinburgh with a show? Yes, I'd never seen anything. I'd never done anything, really. I'd never, I'd never been. I went... In 2018, just to watch, I loved it, you know, so great. Mm. But it's nice because you, you get the, because you, 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 you're a performer yourself, you, the best way to find out Edinburgh is word of mouth and there's a buzz. Yeah. And the first thing, uh, when I got, uh, foolishly got a taxi to from the airport uh, and got the tram back when I realised how expensive it was. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the driver, the taxi driver went to me, ah, Johnny up here doing a show or you just watching? And I went, I'm I'm just, uh, I'm a tourist. I've come to see. And he went, I'll get a wee tip off. I went, right, he went, there's a show up at the Blazing... Was it the... Was it, was it, was it? No, was it the... the, 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 the Gilded Balloon. The, the Udder. 
the Carol. Oh, the other belly. Yeah. Um, he went, there's a show about Henry VIII's wives. It's a wee musical called Sex. Anyway, I heard about this and uh, couldn't get a ticket. It sold out for the whole run. Anyway, I went to see it. My God, amazing show, that. That's an amazing show. It's a musical about Henry's wives, all girls, all girl band, and I was never seen anything so polished. The thing is, the thing about the, the downside of Henry sometimes, sometimes a little bit work in progress, and I don't think that's fair. I don't think it should be a trialling zone, really. I think it should be the polished job that you're getting, really. Well, me and but Steve, I, we did the provinces to get that, to get the show tighter. Oh, did we you? We toured it before we did Edinburgh, yeah. I mean, we drove, this is how, this is how hard we worked. We had a golf, we had to have something we could fit a projector screen in and a hatchback and a, a carousel and a lectern to, for Steve to put his stuff on when he was doing his notes for Ernest. And, and, and so we had a lectern and a massive um, projector screen and stand in the back and all the costumes and props and we drove ourselves around and we did Aberdeen we did a gig in Aberdeen we drove there and only 17 people came no yeah into a how many capacity oh 500 oh no <laughs> yeah no all dotted around 17 yeah but then when you win the perrier the you go well there you go we did it well, you yeah. know it's no gra- it was worth the graft it was worth the disappointment you know but we did proper graft. We tried. We worked stuff out. We tried it. We worked it and tried it. And we had a good director. We had Pat Marber. Patrick Marber directed it for us. Yeah, of Steve went. I'm not disciplined enough. Steve said, "I just. I, I'm not. I'm. I'm not. I've not got the focus. I need. I need someone to help me." And I. And then we said, "Well, Patrick, because he's Oxbridge, he's focused. He's a playwright. He's the man." And he did a great job. He tuned. He fine tuned it. He said, "That's got to go. That doesn't work." He gave us notes. And God, God help. Uh, the, all of us, it worked a treat. So we, on, on a level that, I mean, I was in my 20s, we mm. worked very professionally for that show, rehearsed it and ran it and and it, play, it paid dividends in the end. Because di- when you won the Perrier Award, yeah. that's the first, you know, when does that happen now on your first show that you go up to Edinburgh and you win the big prestigious comedy award that everybody wants. I mean, it's incredible. It was mad. It was mental. We didn't think we'd win. I heard subsequently, one of my favourite turns on the circuit was John Shuttleworth, and it was a vote in it for John. He he nearly won it, apparently. Really? There's one vote in it. But I would have been happy for him to have won it because I went to see his show because Bob Morton went, Tomo, have you all seen John Shuttleworth? He's great. And I went, no, I've not seen him. And it was the brilliant show about... How to get ahead in showbiz and how to like, but acting, he was giving acting tips, how to receive an alarming phone call. And, and he would pick people out of the audience and he went, I'm very good at casting, you know, we could see, uh, I could spot certain types, you know, could play, he, he, and then he'd just carry on with this show and he'd go, oh, you, sir, in the middle, Hitman in Spender. And then he'd go on and he he, he, he cast the audience. Oh, yeah. Irate housewife whose husband's doing time. <laughs> Comes to the door with a baby crying, you know what I mean? And he, I just loved De- Graham's detail. Oh, fantastic, really. I mean, a very, very clever comic. Yeah. Graham. He went to Manchester Poly as well. It's a good, very good stable for comedy uh, there. Uh, there's a lot of great, great funny people come out of Manchester Poly School of Theatre. 
And did things change? Did was did things change for you after the Perrier? Because you yeah. know nowadays it, it just does. I caught my teeth on spitting image because Steve. That's how me and Steve met because we did impersonations. Mm. Steve went, oh yeah. He said you should send a tape cassette to spitting image, and I did, and I did. But ironically, two of my best on that tape. But I, I, I knew it was quite a big thing. This, so I put music on the tape, and I did sketches right. with the voices, not just. Here is, uh, here's my Sean Connery. Hello, my name is Sean Connery and I'm James Bond. It wasn't yeah. like that. Yeah. It was like sketches and uh, I put music to it. But I did it all at home, you know, basic, and it worked. And um, But ironically, two of my best voices on that tape, I still remember, were Jimmy Savile and, uh, and Rolf Harris. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Gone of those days, I'm afraid. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Unfortunately, so but I got the gig, and but you start small. Steve had Steve had been working there a while, so that was a Saturday job. I used to go right. get, get get to London early on a Saturday. Sometimes I'd stay over at Steve's. I think he'd moved to London then, and uh, we'd work at a, a place called Molinaire Studios, and it was on Dufour's Place, just off Carnaby Street, mm. and it was a Saturday job, but it paid so well. I mean. Talk about oxymorons. I was an earning student. I don't. I, I just. I couldn't believe it. And I, it was a lot of money in eighty, uh, eighty nine. It, it seems a lot, but mm. I just gave it away. I, I, I had no dependence. I, I didn't have a mortgage, or you know, I was a student. I just kind of yeah. just gave it away. Really, I, don't, I have no regrets about that. I just thought, you know, so John will get the round in. Yeah, I will. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mind. Didn't Speaking mind. of. Do you mind if we talk about drinking, John? No, not at all. Because I'm very open um, about it. Yeah, I know. I was just. Wondering I, I wasn't at first because I was. You, you, you always think when you stop, you go, "Have I nailed this?" And people are watching. To they're waiting for you to fall early on, early doors. And I think uh, you, you've got to get a few years under your belt to know. Right, okay, that's not going to happen you've, now. So and you've got it under control. I'm, I'm, I'm happy you, to yeah. talk about it. Yeah, I am. So, what was there a a, a point in your life where you went right oh you know when people say they, they discuss certain addictions they go well I've, I've hit such rock bottom i can't really do anything more about it something's got to change was there something that happened that you went right yeah i was in a, got- i was uh, i've been to see a panto in manchester with me family uh i was still married then and um i i uh it wasn't particularly good I and mean, we, we we had terrible seats we were last minute right up in the gods and i had not drunk for a while and it was Christmas, and I thought, all oh, right, okay, I'd not had a drink. And I, I used to do that quite regularly before I stopped. What I used to do was stop New Year's Eve and start on my birthday, uh, which is April the 2nd. Right. So I'd do that quite often. I'd go, I've had enough. People go, someone very cleverly said to me, why do you feel the need to stop? And I went, hmm. That, 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 a little, there was a bit of a bell rang then. I said, uh, well, I just wanted a break. You know, I kind of knew inside you know but i wasn't really letting on so i've always kind of i think i've always um i think if you're celtic irish scottish or uh welsh uh you're predisposed to have a liking for the liquor and i think it, it's very hard it's 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 in the gene pool i think it's yeah i think it's it's inherent in your mm. makeup biological makeup to like a drink 
Unfortunately, being eighty three percent Irish, I really like to drink. So um, I, I, I kind of like. I've always liked. I always like to drink. But the, my kind of, it, it, my reputation was. Oh, he likes. He, John's a right laugh. He likes to drink. I mean, I wasn't a fighter. I wasn't barred from anywhere. I wasn't. You know, and none of that. I didn't turn. I didn't. You know, some people turn. Mm. I didn't. But the, my, the the best thing I can say, the the best quote I've ever read that sums me up and, and a lot of people have, have kind of come back to me who've stopped drinking as well have said oh yeah that's me as well is uh when i controlled it i didn't enjoy it and when i enjoyed it i couldn't control it and that was me so i'd like have a glass of wine with a meal and i'd go oh, God, i won't you know but it was like yeah. a rubbish night really because i'm not Really, I wanted a bottle and three Sambucas and a, you know, <laughs> and go to another place, really. Yeah. But it, it was that. So, but sometimes I wouldn't really be, I wouldn't be enjoying it. I would have one glass and I'd go, do you know what? I don't really, I'm not feeling this. I just go home. But other times I just wanted the, to go on and on and on. Just come on, come on, let's kick, people be going, I'm going, John, no, 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 that's it. You know, Come on, you know. And it was just like, I didn't know when to stop. And that was kind of an indication of, of it all. So the, the, back to the panto and the, that night, I went. I, I, we were saying it. We, it's weird sometimes. I don't know if anyone else does this. In your own town, in your own city, you treat yourself to a night in a hotel. You don't stay at home. Your your house is only a few miles away, but you stay in a nice hotel as a treat. Mm. And we done that. Yeah. And we booked the Beetham Tower Hilton. So we were staying in there anyway. Mm. I had a fallout. I'd, I'd started drinking. I'd had a drink after I'd not had a drink for a while, and it got hold of me. And um, everyone left me in the hotel room, to which I decided to lock myself in there and have a bender. So it was like a two, two-and-a-half-day bender I'd stayed. So what I would do is I would drink the minibar and then pass out, and then and then, and then then um, then I'd go out when I'd woken up, eat some, get some room service, eat, then go out, have a drink, some mm. drinks out, and then come back, and the minibar's been restocked, like, as if by magic, the genie yeah. of the lamp had visited. And it, then it was one night, I did, I did that the second night, and I looked out the window, it was pouring down, it was it was looking over Manchester, because it's a really high, it was the tallest building in Manchester, I don't have had mm. enough. And that was the 29th of December, 2006, and I've not had a drink since, so I'm 14 years this Christmas. Wow, that's incredible, John. Yeah, I just, uh, I did a bit of rehab. I went to Castle Craig in Peebleshire. Peebleshire, that's very American, Peebleshire. <laughs> Peebleshire. I went there. I did six weeks stretch there. It's tough, tough there. It's a tough rehab. I, 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 and I, I went, the, I, I, I stayed sober for six months and then uh, I went to Jimmy Nesbitt's 40th and they say people, places, things, don't go certain people, certain things. And it, it I just couldn't. The idea of, I mean, lime and soda, I mean, best mate at the time's 40 I thought I'm just like this doesn't I can't do this and I should never have gone knowing what I know now I wouldn't have gone but I did and I fell off I fell off the wagon but then after that I'd stopped so that 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 it was just a slow with me I'm a bit like a long I've got a very long fuse there are people who don't drink and they have one drink that night they're in the cells in the local police station yeah. they go yeah. um, it's like pro, they go mad you know I mean it, all, there's different kinds of alcoholism there's different kind of drink problems everyone's different there is not one form mm. there's, there isn't one textbook kind of everybody's different it's very very different so for me I've got a very long fuse and that fuse was lit at Jimmy's 40th and I kind of tried to control it 
and then it all oh, the wheels fell off at Christmas and I went, right, this is a good time to stop, really. I've got New Year coming. I don't want that. I don't want New Year. I don't want it. And uh, that was it. So I quit. Um, I did a bit of AA to, to start with and, um, uh, you know, and I'm uh, good. There's a lot of good grounding in 12 Steps and, and all that. They're just as a life kind of, you know, uh, lifestyle thing, you know. Yeah. To like be just live a decent life, really. Um, I don't do meetings now. Um, that's a choice, uh, but I do have a spiritual kind of like outlook on life. You know, kind of uh, lead. You know, um, you need a, a spirituality in your life to kind of stay sober because it's not just enough to stop. Because people go, someone said to me recently, went, "Oh, uh, do you do meetings?" I went, "No, I don't." And they went, "Oh, white knuckling." I went, what do you mean, white knuckling? She went, well, how, how long have you been sober? And I went, 14 years. And she was like, oh, oh. Mm. So I think really, I think some people see someone who's sober without AA as a bit of an anomaly, really. But it can be done. And I'd like yeah, to give, I've, I'm very grateful to, to the fellowship of AA for, for some of the, 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 the advice and stuff I've been given. But at the same time, if anyone is struggling and, and, and but doesn't want to do it, you can do it. I'd like to say you can get sober without Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, but if, if you need it, it's there for you. But I am living proof that you, you, you can do it without. Do you know what I mean? If anyone, if, if anyone thinks you can't, you definitely can. Definitely. But also it's like you were saying, there's different, everybody's different. Everybody's relationship with any sort of drug is different. Mm. And the, the different levels of alcoholism. So therefore, there's different paths to recovery. And I yeah. suppose you have to find what's right for you. I, I, I've got certain good friends who, you know, they love their meetings and they wouldn't do without them. Yeah. Because it's that, that, I suppose, they've got to find, you've got to find your anchor with what you do. And that's their anchor. That keeps them grounded. I, I found the lockdown very easy. Because 14 years ago, I went into my own lockdown. I had to say, I'm not going out. I'm not going to pubs. I'm not going to clubs. That's it. Game over. I'm not doing this anymore. That's it. And I went into some serious... I mean, people could see it almost as antisocial, right? But at first, you have to be because you've got to learn a new way. You've got to learn mm. a new path. And that path works for me brilliantly now. But I'm, now I've become obsessed with food. But cooking and... Uh, you know, everything about food now is just my absolute l joy. And thankfully, it's only mood-altering if it's badly cooked. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I actually do, because I've been doing... I've been focusing on improving my cooking skills during lockdown like It's a great thing business. to do. But oh, it's a, been incredible. I, I've, done, we've done, I've done a lot of restaurant copies, and I've really, really loved kind of like getting the books like Dishoom, Wagamama. I've been kind of right, I've, been, I've got that box off now, I'm going to do this, this, that, the other. But I just relish cooking, and it's great. But the thing is about the lockdown is, like I say, it's, I haven't found it hard at all because I, I, it's just like being, it's just like being unemployed mm. because there's so much uncertainty in our jobs. Yeah. And we don't do nine to five salaried jobs. You know, I feel very sorry for people whose social life revolves around work because some of their best mates are at work and they love their job. Mm. And they're not, they're, they'll be missing that terribly. Zoom doesn't even come close to, to representing that, you know, replicated no. it. No. So I really feel for those people. I mean, I, I'm really worried about theatre uh, as, as an aspect of our careers because uh, Claire Sweeney made a very good point that uh, if you can sit on a flight to Malaga for two and a half hours sharing the same air in a flight 
with a mask on. Yeah. Why can't you share the huge space of an auditorium? Space, you know, yeah. me to... I don't get that. There's, there's something very odd about this kind of... I, I, I believe that in the National Theatre are opening. I saw that on a... They are, they're starting to... Well, they've started... They've opened... I was just looking at some pictures from Regent's Park Open Air Theatre. They've been doing socially distant uh, comedy and I think uh, like live performance of, like I think, Jesus Christ Superstar right. or something. But, you know, I looked at the audience and everybody was kind of... You, if you're with... You sat next to people who you know or, or in your, you know, bubble... Um, that's another one. I can't uh, stand that word at the moment. It, no, used, no. it used to be everyone, when everybody was going, oh, the new normal. Shut up about your new normal. If I hear that once, no, no. I'll tear my hair out. No, no. But I think she's got a point. You know, the last place I would want to be right now is on an airplane crammed next to people who I don't know. With I've got ill, I've got ill on a plane normally. You know, yes. like a cold. I've got, I've, got, I've got on a plane fine, and I've got off, and I've gone, oh, I don't feel right. And it's, I've shared that air. God forbid, you know. But I don't even want to get on a train at the moment. I'll just happily drive. If I have to go somewhere. Well, I've, I've done just... a train once. We went to Legoland, Windsor with the kids, and uh, here's the tip, right? Always have a oh. picnic out on the table, and you don't have to wear a mask. <laughs> <laughs> All food, food out constantly, just and, grazing. And then, and then no one's going to come As soon as the ticket, man, anyone with a uniform on, get it, get get a... Uh, get a what's it out <laughs> <laughs> oh john this has been so lovely well i'm glad we, we did it in the end, craig i've really enjoyed it thank you for having me on oh thank you anytime man you're always welcome back thank you and uh, um i will speak to you very soon mate take, you care. take care have a lovely thanks, day thanks man you too and another episode is I really hope you enjoyed that and it made you laugh because I haven't laughed like that for ages and God knows we need it sometimes, don't we? I can't thank John enough for coming on. Just great company, great conversation. I loved it and do, if you are in the UK, do make sure you check out uh, the Fast Show celebration that is on tomorrow night on UK TV. And as you heard at the beginning, next week we are not here for not it's only a week. Uh, but while we're away, I want to recommend another podcast. It's called The Froth, and it's with the brilliant Rod Gilbert and Sean Harris and their lovely dog, Rosie, and a plethora of guests who pop in. Um, it's very funny, it's very silly, and it's something a little bit different. I think you'll really, really enjoy it. And it's called The Froth. Get it where you get all your good podcasts, but make sure you come back to us the week after. Uh, of course, look, there's room in your life for many podcasts, just as long as we're your favourite. Okay. No, you're needy. Okay. Right. Um, on that note, I'm going to go. I want you to have a brilliant week next week while we're away, and I shall see you uh, Yeah, the following week on the Thursday. So until then, thank you so much for downloading and subscribing. I've been Craig Parkinson, he's been producer Griff, and this has been the Two Shot Podcast. You take care. The Two Shot Podcast is presented by me, Craig Parkinson, recorded and produced by Thomas Griffin for Splicing Block. Our music, our brilliant music, is courtesy of Then Thickens. Cheers. Cheers.